0: On First Class Fatherhood. All right, Dads, I have an awesome guest to bring you guys today. Former NFL quarterback Jordan Palmer will be here with me in just a few minutes, so please stick around for the interview. And if you happen to watch the fights on Saturday night in UFC 236, then you've seen my guest on Friday's episode show the heart of a lion because Eric Anders was knocked down three times in the fight. He was beat up pretty good by Khalil Roundtree, but he kept on getting up. He kept moving forward. I was pulling for him the whole way. He went the distance. He lost a very tough fight, but I have no doubt that he will be back and better than ever in a future UFC event. As far as this week goes for the podcast, I have an incredible group of dads that will be joining me here from all different spectrums of life, as always. I mentioned earlier, Jordan Palmer will be here shortly. Tomorrow, we're going to go from the gridiron to the ice rink, and I will have NHL defenseman Kevin Miller, who is currently playing for the Boston Bruins. They are right now in the playoffs battling the Maple Leafs, so don't miss out on that one coming tomorrow. Wednesday is going to be a lot of fun. Louis, Uncle Louis Gregory will be here, and among the many other things that he's involved with, he was one of the founders of the Department of Homeland Security. You've also seen him on the Goldbergs, so don't miss Uncle Louis coming on Wednesday. Thursday, we're going to have an actor from Liverpool who starred in TV shows such as Revenge, and he dropped his British accent to play Joe Bear, a U.S. Navy SEAL Team 6 operator in the History Channel's 6 uh, so don't miss out on that coming Thursday. And speaking of Navy SEALs, we are going back to the Frogman Friday format this week on First Class Fatherhood and I'm going to have former Navy SEAL jason coon joining me on friday so lock it into first class fatherhood it's going to be an exciting week here and please don't forget to hit me with a rating or a review on itunes and make sure you're telling every father that you know in your contact list or in your neighborhood about the podcast here and we are just getting started here we're only a year underway from the little acorn grew the mighty oak all right so let's continue our celebration of fatherhood and family life fatherhood rocks Family values rule, and every day is Father's Day right here with me. And let's jump into the action right now with former NFL quarterback Jordan Palmer. I'm Alec Lace, and you're listening to First Class Fatherhood. I cannot say thank you enough to all the listeners out there. You will hear a word from my sponsors in the middle of today's interview. If you would like to help me make First Class Fatherhood ad-free, please consider becoming a supporter of the podcast by hitting the link in the description of today's podcast episode. All right, and joining me now is a First Class Father, he was selected by the Washington Redskins in the sixth round of the 2007 NFL draft. He is currently working with a variety of quarterbacks to get them prepared for the NFL. It is a big privilege for me to say, Jordan Palmer, welcome to First Class Fatherhood.
1: Oh, thanks for having me. This is uh, this is an honor.
0: All right, here we go. How many kids do you have and how old are they?
1: So uh, young family man. My, uh, my wife and I, who are high school sweethearts, uh, we're 34 and we met. When we were 15 when I transferred into a, a new high school, and, um, and we've been married for coming up on nine years. We have a little three-year-old boy, and we have a six-month-old boy.
0: Wow, very cool. All right, did you do any kind of uh, gender reveal, or did you wait until the end
1: to find out what you were having? You know, we waited until the end on both of them. Uh, people keep saying, oh, that's crazy. I don't, I don't know how you do that. We you know, we had to know. Uh, I just disagree. I don't think you have to know. I mean, my, my son's rooms, the nursery was not blue. Um, and, uh, and for us, you know, I feel like there's very few surprises in life that are really good. There's a bunch of bad surprises, you know, as you get older, but, um, very few, just awesome surprises. And so for us, we waited to the end and part of the fun was just not just for us, but for our families too. You know, me walking out into the, the waiting room at the hospital and holding up a blue sign two times and everyone going nuts and would have gone nuts either way. But, um, but yeah, we, uh. I was I was wrong. I thought for sure both times it was going to be a girl. My wife was dead set on being a boy both times and uh she won. Awesome. Yeah, it's great either way. I've experienced both sides of it.
0: We found out by doing a gender reveal sort of thing with three of our kids and then we waited until the end with one of them. So it's cool both ways. Um now what was the experience like for you going from one child to two?
1: Well, the way I tell like young fathers is um you know, going from zero to one is I think the most difficult and I'm the youngest of four and I have 11 nieces and nephews. So, though I only have two kids, I have been around, you know, my siblings having a lot of kids and stuff. And, um, zero to one is the hardest cause it's a life changer. Your life is literally from this day forward, never the same. Um, so that's the biggest life change, uh, in our experience, but from one to two, it's just harder. It's just, uh, um, you know, with, with a three year old running around and then a six month old and we have them on a on a sleep schedule and you know and so it's it's uh it adds more uh it's more cumbersome in the first kind of year or two uh of having two kids I think uh with 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 my wife who's who's a stay at home mom uh and has a she helps me with we have a business that we run together um uh, but she's a stay at home mom and so I think it's harder with the second kid. But it gets completely offset by just how awesome it is to see their little relationship build. And, you know, we were just talking this morning about, um, you know, my my uh, sister took my three-year-old to Disneyland for the day. I live about a half hour from Disneyland. She took the three-year-old. So we were just sitting around with the six-month-old, and, and we were just kind of going back and forth and talking about how fast it's gone with the second kid because we kind of know what to expect. And we kind of want to delay it. We don't want him to hurry up and get older. We, we're enjoying the baby phase and we're enjoying how, you know, him not crawling yet and just kind of sitting there and being squishy. And so, uh, that second kid for us has been harder, but also been, uh, a lot more, a lot more joy and a really, really fun to start to see them build their little relationship. Cause my three year old won't take my, his eyes off the six month old and vice versa
0: yeah it's a blessing all the way around Jordan and for my wife and I we went from having three boys and then having the girl at the end and going from two to three children was by far the toughest transition for us uh do you have any plans on going for that third child and maybe trying for the girl
1: uh we're not necessarily going for a girl, but we're we're definitely gonna keep going um you know we're we're kind of talking about for uh, we're gonna go one at a time from here on out I, I I definitely have had had thoughts of having a big family four or five kids, but um we're gonna go uh we're gonna go you know, one at a time from here on out.
0: Yeah, I like that philosophy, Jordan. All right, please, take a second here just to hit my listeners with a little bit about your background and what you do.
1: Yeah, so uh, so I grew up in Southern California, and uh, like I said, I married my high school sweetheart, and, uh, and uh, then I went and played college, ball, college football in Texas, and then I played eight years bouncing around the NFL, and uh, lived in, you know, and played for Cincinnati in Chicago, Jacksonville, uh, Tennessee, and the Redskins. Bounced around a bunch. I was a backup quarterback and um, but I'd always been coaching on the side. And so I uh when I was in college I coached and coached some high school kids. Uh there's a program called the Elite Eleven, which is a high school football program that um we every year it's been going on for twenty years, but every year they, they whittle it down from from thousands of, of gonna be senior high school quarterbacks, they whittle it down to the top eleven. So that's been going on 20 years, and basically most of the guys you've heard of that play on Sundays right now went through Elite 11 one way or another, um, and uh, so I've been a part of that. I've been coaching forever, and you know was a counselor in that in college. When I got to the NFL, I started training high school kids for free. I'd say, hey, look, young quarterbacks, come work out with me. Just bring receivers so you guys can hop in on my workout. That way I have guys to throw to. Fell in love with coaching the position, but... Uh, when I was in the NFL, I realized that that was the coaching in the NFL or college was not a lifestyle I was interested in because of how seldom those guys got to see their kids. And, uh, for me, everything is built around fatherhood. I mean, the, when I, when people say live in the dream, I'm absolutely living my dream. But I'm, when I say that I'm referencing the fact that I have this little family, uh, it's not about the job or where we live. Uh, it's been just, this is all I ever wanted to do was be a dad. And so, um, so what's happened is I've kind of transitioned out of, out of plan And uh, my last year when I was playing – or one of my last years, I was playing for the Chicago Bears, and I was talking to some some rookie quarterbacks in the NFL about their first offseason, and they were telling me how hard all this was. And the things that they were saying were hard, like the stuff they had to learn, I didn't think should be hard. I thought somebody should have taught it to them before they got there. And so I said, you know what, next year I'm going to train somebody for the draft. So you figure these guys finished college in December – you know, their last bowl game, and uh, maybe early January, and then they go somewhere for two or three months to prepare for the draft and the combine and the pro days and all that stuff. So when I was playing for the Bears, I went to a facility and said, I'd love to train whoever comes through the door, and the first guy that came through the door was Blake Bortles. And I had not heard of him because I didn't watch UCF, and when you're playing football in the NFL, the last thing you do is watch college football all day Saturday because you're working. And so I literally didn't know who he was. And uh, so I trained him for three months. He ended up going number three overall to the Jaguars. I fell in love with that process realized that i could be that older brother that big big you know veteran mentor and uh so since blake's been leagues probably been up five years uh i've got a chance to, to train a lot of great quarterbacks um i run camps now where i have kids as young as 11 years old all the way to seniors in high school come to them uh, they're called qb summits and uh that's a paid paid camp kids come to that from all over the country i've had some kids come from international and uh, I bring in the top college players, to college quarterbacks to be my counselors. And then I train guys for the draft January, February. So the list of guys that I've got a chance to work with is uh, Deshaun Watson, Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Jared Goff. Uh, I've had a bunch of just awesome, awesome guys through there. And, uh, and it's really fun for me because I get poured into. You figure if I see a couple hundred middle school to high school kids a year and I'm dealing with their parents, particularly their dads, I have a really interesting reference point on things I want to do and incorporate into my my dadding skills and things that I want to avoid as a dad. And uh, so I've got a bunch of reference points every year on cool things to do and things to to refrain from doing. And so today I run QB Summit. My wife and I run it together. Uh, I coach kids from 11 all the way to some NFL veterans. Uh, I've got about a dozen of those guys. and, And I'm just trying to help those guys reach their potential.
0: That's awesome, Jordan. And since we're talking about the subject of football here, one of the struggles or decisions for a lot of dads or parents in general out there is whether or not to allow their kids to play tackle football with all these reports that we get about CTE, it makes it that much more difficult. Uh, You have two boys yourself here. So this is maybe a decision you have to make down the line. Um, How do you feel about kids playing tackle football and what do you think is the safe age for them to start?
1: Yeah. So um, I sit uniquely in this because, um, you know, I had concussions, and I have concerns. Um, the thing is, is I know how many concussions I had in college. I know exactly how many concussions I had in the NFL, because it was really well-documented, right? And I had experts standing around me. But I don't know is how many I had when I was little. I started playing in third grade, because nobody really on the field was qualified. Now, there's been some changes, though, um, and this is a complex answer for me, and and, uh, and and this is a conversation I have very often. Now, I my son's three, my oldest, so I, I don't have to have this conversation about my boys anytime soon, really. Um, but but I do have a lot of nieces and nephews, and, and I have a couple nephews that want to play football and or are playing football. And uh, I just think today, in 2019, the appropriate age to start playing tackle football is, uh, is eighth grade, seventh grade on the early end. I just don't think they need – there's so many other ways to get good at football right now, particularly if they're a skill position. Quarterback, running back, receiver, tight end safety, corner, linebacker. There's so many ways to get better. Seven-on-seven is such a beast compared to what it was when I was growing up. There's no seven-on-seven leagues when I was a kid. I graduated high school in 2002. 2002, the only seven-on-seven I participated in in high school was my team would enter one tournament a year. Now, on average, a high school quarterback is on 2.3 seven-on-seven teams and plays on his high school team. So it's kind of like AAU basketball. Right. if you're a high school basketball player of course you play on a on a on a club or or a traveling team if you're i mean if you're serious about it and you're good so today there's so many opportunities in 3rd 4th 5th 6th grade to come to camps like mine go to other camps join 7 on 7 you know i'm in southern california Matt liner passing uh it's like a 7 on 7 league it's it's awesome kids, it's great kids get a ton of development ton of skills without the need to go run around and hit people but I do think it is good to get a year or two under your belt before you get to high school, uh, learning how to hit, but also learning how to be hit and how to protect yourself. Now, the biggest change, and I'm actually involved in this company, so disclaimer, is VICIS, V-I-C-I-S. Any dads uh, that uh, or moms that are listening to this, that um, that their boys playing football, definitely look into VICIS helmets. So there's a thing going on right now where if I'm playing in the NFL today, I could actually choose. There's multiple helmets I could choose from. I could actually choose the same helmet that I wore in middle school. That helmet is still available. If you think about it, let's say I wanted to wear the same cleats that I wore in middle school, right? Let's say I wore the Land Sharks by Nike, okay? If I wanted to wear those cleats today, I can't. They don't make them anymore because there's been so many improvements to cleats that the old ones, you can't even buy them because they're so crappy. And yet I could still wear the same helmet. How crazy is that? Yeah, great what, point. Vices, what Vices has done is they have approached this problem as a technology problem. They've approached it as a tech company, not as a sporting goods company. And so they have raised a ton of money, brought in the top people in all the world, and they have completely redesigned the helmet. And I would encourage people to check out Vices, V-I-C-I-S. Um, the, the founder, Dave Marver, I, when I talk about Dave, I usually say this. I say When people ask me if my boy is going to play football, I actually say Dave holds the keys to that answer. Because if the helmets do not improve by the time my son gets to high school, I probably would hope that he doesn't want to play football. I'm not going to make him do anything. I'm not going to keep him from doing anything. Um, if helmets continue like Vices, what they're doing, and no one else is really even close, but what Vicis is doing, um, yeah, I have much, much, much fewer concerns about a traumatic brain injury to my son. Yeah, Jordan, that is very
0: encouraging to hear. And I am definitely going to drop a link in the description of this podcast episode for the parents that are out there listening that want to find out more about those helmets, they can do so. And I already wish that we had these flag football leagues when I was a kid. Now they have them all year long. I've coached flag football for about five or six years at least here. And I think it's a great option. And now, since you do work with so many quarterbacks, Jordan, is there any major differences in the quarterbacks that you're seeing who are coming up now as opposed to years ago? Because, I mean, some of the rules, the whole game has changed quite a bit.
1: Yeah, you know, I think if you look at the NFL and college in particular, um, there's uh, – they're really cutting back. They're making – in an effort to make the game safer, uh, they're really cutting back on the amount of hitting that guys are doing. So, you know, when I was in college, we had two-a-days, right? Every day was a two-a-day practice and training camp. And you go back to the 90s and the 80s and the 70s, it was, you know, Bear Bryant days. or it was it's It's gotten a lot better. Um, but in particular, the, the college football, NCAA has a, 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 it's a rule called the 20-hour rule, where the coaches are allowed to have the players for 20 hours a week. And so with that, they've really cut back on the, the contact portion of it. The NFL's version of that showed up in the collective bargaining agreement in 2010. And so it's really restricted the amount, you know, in the NFL and training camp, you can't have back-to-back two-a-days. A two-a-day can't actually have two padded practices. One's padded, one's more of a walkthrough or, or helmets only. So they've really cut back on it. How that affects the game is, that, you know, it affects the development of a lot of players, obviously. You practice less, you're not going to get as developed. It's pretty obvious. But an offensive line in particular, the things that the O-line used to do, they used to work on practice, getting bull rushed and passing off twists and stunts. They get more work of dudes coming, big, heavy dudes coming at them. They get less work, which means I think offensive line play has and will continue to deteriorate in perpetuity. But if you look at the draft, this year's draft is a perfect example. We might have seven defensive linemen taken in the first ten picks. Defensive linemen are starting – they're getting a quarter of an inch taller every year. Their arms are getting a half an inch longer. They're running a hundredth of a second faster every single year. They're weighing ten more pounds. They're getting bigger and faster and scarier and it's going to be harder and harder for offensive lines to continue to be able to protect. So how that affects the quarterbacks is the future of the quarterback position, and it's great because when you're little, there is no O-line. I mean, the offensive line is the same size. I played O-line when I was in sixth grade, right? And I was the same size as everybody else. In high school, it's similar. In college, you start to see a discrepancy in size, and then obviously the NFL is different. Um, but the future of the quarterback position is the quarterback's ability to cr- extend the play. The way I phrase it is the quarterback's ability to create time and space. Now, the problem is in seven-on-seven, seven, you don't have a pass rush. So you don't move around. You don't have to buy time. You get good at throwing, but you also develop bad habits of sitting around and waiting for somebody to get open, whereas in the NFL and in college, it's far more about your ability to extend the play. And so I think um, quarterback position is going to continue to lean towards the mobile guys who can move around and make stuff happen. If you look at the last few drafts, that's been really that's been really highlighted. You know, last year's draft, you got Lamar Jackson, um, you've got uh, Baker, Sam Darnold, and Josh Allen. All four of those guys are guys who can move around and extend the play. This year, Drew Locke, fantastic athlete, Kyler Murray, world class athlete. You go through all these top guys: Tyree Jackson, Jarrett Stidham. These guys are all can move around. And so I think that's going to be the future of the position. And so uh, what I talked to parents about early on is get these quarterbacks moving around, avoiding people, even if they're just playing seven on seven.
0: Yeah, great points, Jordan. And it'll be interesting to see how the league changes and develops more as we move forward here. Okay, it is time to get an important word from our sponsors, then back with more from Jordan Palmer. I'm Alec Lace, and you're listening to First Class Fatherhood. Hi, I'm Alec Lace, host of First Class Fatherhood. Now you've heard me interview dads like NFL Hall of Famers, Navy SEALs, entrepreneurs, actors, and many more on my show First Class Fatherhood. And one of the challenges for many of us dads is the technology and the video games. And I have found a simple solution to this problem through the SIRDAP Game Show app. There are times that entertaining your kids can be a trade-off between what they want to see and what you want them to see, Right. Well, there's a new game show style app for kids five to eight or even for the whole family that weaves good messages into fun. The SIRDAP game show app covers politeness, social responsibility, how we treat ourselves and others and more in a trivia style game that is a blast to play. The characters are fun to watch. There's good humor and really great music in the game. Meet the characters and find out more about the SIRDAP game show at SIRDAP.com. That's S-I-R-D-A-P-P.com. We just slide this back to you as a father for a second. Uh, with an infant and a toddler, I'm kind of curious to ask, what does bedtime look for you? Uh, are you a storyteller, a book reader? Uh, are you a lullaby guy? What does bedtime look like in your home?
1: Yeah, so I've got a, got a six-month-old and a three-year-old. So a six-month-old, um, you know, we're, we're big on, on um, letting our boys know who Jesus is and, um, and giving them uh, the disposition of Christ in their life early on. And so um, we definitely pray before we go to bed. Um, we, uh, we, we're starting books with my six, six month old, um, just to get more in the routine. Um, my three year old, absolutely. He's, he's arguing for another, he's always lobbying for another book, another book, another book. Um, so we love tucking our boys in. Um, I have a terrible voice and my wife does not like hearing me sing. Um, I usually, you know, sing in the shower, but, uh, sitting, you know, sitting in a, in a rocking chair with my six month old or, you know, when they're baby phase, um, I have uh, a couple of songs I always sing to them and uh and so yeah I'm usually singing a little bit and uh we're going through books my 3 year old has quite the library and uh it's really fun to go through those books he gets really into them and uh, and we have a pretty consistent bedtime routine uh with with the the baby he's still taking a bath in the in the sink and so um just the consistency of the bath um go upstairs change him all that stuff um give him his bottle, read a book, pray, sing a little bit, go to bed, get him in that routine uh, so that by the time we lay him down, I mean, he's, he's ready to go to sleep. And my three-year-old usually wants to stay up and do fun stuff, but um, we really try and limit the amount of TV. Um, I only really give him a phone uh, to watch something on there if it's like a, a need-to-do basis where you know, we're at a doctor's appointment or we're waiting on something or we really need him to, um, uh, you know, to, to be to himself. Uh, So we really try and limit that stuff. But I think uh, we're big on on having a bedtime routine, and and I'm really big. I I do work a lot, but I'm really really uh, trying to always be there for that. That's one of my favorite parts of the day is, is when they're getting up and when they're going down. Yeah, it is
0: very refreshing to hear you talking about praying with your kids, Jordan. I am a faith-based person as well, and prayer is a big part of my family life, and I love reading to my kids, but also, because of the technology, I love being able to share some of the shows and cartoons that I watched when I was a kid, and now that's all available because everything can be streamed or downloaded or whatever, and, uh, you know, I can have them watching some of the He-Man cartoons or the Thundercats or any of those old cartoons I watched growing up.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I will say that the T V is they've they have a couple of really good shows. Like I my son's coming out of it now, but Bubble Guppies has been a great show. I like it. They teach a lot. Um it's always a song or two. There's definitely some shows we're trying to avoid. My three year old's pretty aggressive. He's he's a wild man and he likes to tackle and we do a lot of beat up time. My my dad did beat up time with us and uh, when I'm with my nieces and nephews, we're usually doing beat up time and um you know, I don't have a ton of aspirations for my son specifically, like I like I want him to play football or I want him to be a doctor. I want him to be, I want him to find, you know, my goal with both my boys um, was, you know, I really want him to find what they're passionate about and what they're good at faster than anybody else their age. That's essentially my goal. And so my son likes to, ro- likes, likes to roll around. And, and the other thing I would say is, like, the only real attribute that I think I can contribute to that I want them to have uh, is toughness. I know I can't necessarily de- determine how intelligent they're going to be. I can ter- I can determine to some extent how educated they're going to be, Okay, right? What school do I send them to? How do we, you know, how do we do things at home? Um but I, I can't determine how smart or how tall or how talented they're going to be. Um but it's too early to work on work ethic, but uh but right now toughness is a big one and and uh it's something that I'm I'm proud of my 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 little guys, are tough tough little dudes. Um but uh, but that's really the, the, the only thing that I really kind of aspire to, to uh, instill in my boys is that toughness. And um, and so we, we do a lot of that stuff. But with that being said, it, we l- l- learned the hard way. It is a little too early for Spider-Man and Ninja Turtles because, you know, he starts getting visuals of all these different fighting scenes. And so I kind of learned that the hard way. Like, whoa, let's peel that back a little bit. We can do beat-up time, but let's stick with, you know, bubble guppies or um, – or, uh, or some of the old shows, you know, that, that I used to watch. Yeah, no GI Joe for them
0: just yet. But, but that's one of the wonderful things about fatherhood. Jordan is that you never know which direction it's going to take you. My oldest got into chess at a young age. It's something that I never played or had any experience with. Now I love playing chess. Everybody in the family does. We have chess tournaments. Also, things like Harry Potter. I never would have been into. So it's kind of fun to go along with the flow of everything rather than trying to uh, direct the flow and dictate. You know, which kind of sports they can play or what activities they can.
1: Yeah, I um I, I, you know, I was a unique vantage point. I've been around so many uh quarterbacks, so many ages. Um and uh and so for me and, and that's kind of that's my tribe I would say. And uh it, you know, the quarterback community and football community and so just seen so many different ways to do it. And um and so it's fun to my my son's gonna grow up around that. Now he's gonna have some really cool uncles. You know, he's got Uncle Deshaun Watson and Uncle Sam Darnold and he's got some He's going to, as they grow up, they're going to have some really cool guys to look up to. Um, but with that being said, the the best quarterbacks I've been around, they didn't just play quarterback nonstop. I mean, Sam Darnold was a great high school basketball player. Drew Locke, who I just spent three months with, he was actually had big time scholarship offers in basketball. He didn't choose football till his senior year. Uh, and he even say that football chose him. Uh, and so I just think it's important to be well-rounded. Honestly, if I were to in terms of sports activities, if I were to add up the hours of what I've done with my three-year-old, skateboarding and surfing outweighs everything. You know, my son, he rides his little scooter. I had this thing called the Burley, which is really cool. Uh, It's like a little four-wheel, like, cart. You can hook it onto the back of a a bike or there's handles on it. And so I would skateboard and push it. You know, when he was just old enough to be able to sit up straight and, and be strapped in and put a helmet on him, and I would skateboard down these hills and carve. And he just got a feel for kind of when you're going fast and you turn, like that force kind of pulling you, um, he got a feel for that. So now that he's riding a scooter, uh, he wants to hit turns at big speeds. And, you know, and, and so he, he's got a feel for that. Uh, and he and he, and he really likes it. Uh, I grew up surfing. And, and so I just want my boys, I do want my boys to, to have an affinity for the ocean. There's a lot of different things you can do in the ocean. Um, but it's the ultimate free resource, and, and for us, it's right down the street. And so, um, you know, my son, my nine, my nine, when he was nine months old, uh, we took him to Tavarua to, to in, in Fiji and on a trip I was on for work. And um, so he, that was kind of the first time he was in the water and kind of just riding on the front, just feeling the wave pull you. And I just want them to kind of have those types of interactions. And then I learned something. I have a friend who would be a great guest. Uh, his name is Shane Dorian. He's one of the top surfers in the world. And his son is Jackson, he's 12, and uh, Jackson's, you know, arguably going to be the face of surfing for the next 20 years, um, a total prodigy. And, uh, and it was on that trip that was the first time Jackson, I think he was like eight, was the first time he really actually wanted to surf, he had grown up skateboarding. And, um, and just getting a feel for, you know, the, the way of pulling you was really cool. But Shane gave me something that, uh, to gave me a piece of advice that I thought was fantastic, and it's not just true for surfing, it's true for anything. In surfing, what he would say is the key for for him was getting his son to celebrate the wipeout. So when you fall and you go underwater, it can either be really scary, oh, my gosh, are you okay? Or it can be, yeah, that was a great wipeout, son. And so when the kids start celebrating the wipeout and surfing, you know, you can call it a wipeout, but kids fall doing everything my kid's playing basketball and he falls and hits his knee on the ground and starts crying. I go, that's a great wipeout. And kids start celebrating it. Uh, and in my experience, I think that's led to my son being the tougher kid out of his friends, uh, because, um, it's the idea that this, this scary thing just happened, but I handled it great. So let me celebrate it as opposed to, let me look to mom and dad right now and make sure that I'm okay and wait for them to kiss it and tell me everything's Okay.
0: Yeah, that's something that I have been working on throughout my fatherhood journey here is to get better at my reactions to things because I have noticed that it's not necessarily what happens. It's the reaction to what happens that really determines the outcome. Uh, But I did want to ask you about the couple of years there or the few years you played in Cincinnati alongside your brother, Carson. What was that like for you guys and for your family to have those seasons together on the same team in the NFL?
1: This is all time, man. You figure, I mean, this is my best friend and my idol, the guy I look up to. He's four and a half years older than me. Uh Carson Palmer, for those who don't know, so he just finished a an amazing sixteen year NFL career. Um, you know, won a Heisman with the number one pick, um, you know, did very well financially and uh was the best teammate I was ever around. And I've I've played and I've had a lot of teammates. Um and uh for us to be together for four years, you know, we won a we won uh won the division one of those years. Had a bad year one of those years, um, and uh, but also him and his wife had been trying to get pregnant for a few years, and they ended up getting pregnant with twins, uh, boy-girl twins during that phase. So just to be out there with them, my wife to be with, with uh, my sister-in-law in the pregnancy phase, in the birth of their twins, the first year or two helping out. For my wife and I raising our family, we got a bunch of really, really cool experience from just being around, you know, our niece and our nephew, our goddaughter, and um, to be really, really close to that and get that experience was invaluable, um, not to mention just the relationships that we have and how fun it was. But my brother and I are big bow hunters, so for us to be able to work together, hang out together, go through the family stuff together, get in the woods together, and then spend the off-seasons training together, it was a season of life that it's just going to be, until I had kids, I was like, well, that'll and nothing will ever be that cool again. Uh, you know, until I had kids. And now, you know, now I feel like every day is the best day ever. Well said. That's awesome, Jordan.
0: And you have a beautiful family, a lot of support there. I mean, we know it takes a village to raise a child and it looks like you've got a great network of people in your corner. Uh, what's next for you now you have, you know, I know you have the camp going on and all that, but what kind of goals or plans do you have for the future?
1: Yeah. So, um, so i have uh, um, a handful of camps coming up and I'm just scaling that up more and more every year. i do three I'm doing three camps this year um I'm gonna scale it up to about ten next year um start to move around the country and uh, and do camps around the country and uh, the draft training that I do and the veterans that are coming back to train with me after their rookie in first, second, third year is continuing to grow. Um, uh, I'm gonna be launching a podcast here soon and uh, and I'm also um, have some broadcasting stuff coming up so for me I, I love football and and uh, I've got a bunch of really cool stuff in there, but how my wife and I look at it is we basically look at it through the lens of how I how we, how we want me to show up as a father and a husband, and then we make decisions off of that. One of the benefits of me being around my brother, my brother had a very successful career, made a lot of money, and um, is I, I've been around that a lot, and uh, I don't actually desire that, so I'm not making decisions based off of. Um, financial outcomes. Now I have to be as a father, you know, and breadwinner for the family, I have to be, you know, fiscally responsible and make good decisions. But um, what we've determined is particularly at this young age, um, I want to be around. I do. I mean I'm 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 talking to you right now. It's uh it's uh nine forty five in the morning and one of my sons is at Disneyland with a family member and my other son's sleeping upstairs and and uh, I just wanted to be here for, for the family in the morning and be here in the evening, and so I, I've really made decisions around what allows me to be here because, um, you know, I spend a lot of time, I work with a, a foundation uh, called the uh, Jesse Reese Foundation, so uh, it's jesse.org, and um, an amazing story, so there's a little 11-year-old girl uh, named Jesse Joy Reese, and uh, she got diagnosed, and I, I believe it was 2011, with a rare inoperable brain tumor, so she got a DIPG, very rare, and, uh, and it was inoperable, it was terminal, and uh, so she battled for about uh, 10 months, and she was outpatient, so she got to go home. And she was so caught up and concerned with the other kids who didn't get to go home. So uh, instead of dwelling on her situation, and her parents explained to her what was happening. And, you know, at 11, you can have that conversation, and, and you need to. And, uh, and so, um, you know, for the first couple months, instead of dwelling on it, she wanted to take all her beanie babies and toys and give them to the other kids. So then that, but you can't just drop off toys at a hospital, right? There's a lot of regulations. So that turned into somebody donating jars, somebody donating toys. Her father left his profession. Uh, he was a pastor at a church called Saddleback Church, uh, which is one of the biggest churches in America. And um, he went full time and started a foundation. And by the time she passed away and moved to heaven, she had stuffed uh, three thousand of these little joy jars. So it was a jar with full to the brim of toys. She had all these rules and regulations around it. What she wanted the toys to be, and um, and it was all about uh, encouraging kids to never ever give up. So we use the term Nigu N E G U, never ever give up. So when she passed away, we had handed out about three. She had handed out about three thousand Joy Jars. Uh, so that was 2012. To date, we've given almost 255,000 Joy Jars in over 30 countries in all 50 states. It's a Big Foundation. So I've been very involved in this. Um, her last name is Reese R E E S. Uh, my six-month-old son's name is Reese, R-E-E-S. We named named him after the family. And um, my son's at Disneyland right now with uh, Jesse's big sister, Shea, who's basically family. And uh, and so for me, um, I've been a, I've, I've done a lot of hospital visits. And uh, when I was a player in the NFL, Tuesdays is your off day, and so I made sure I was always doing something in the community. And by the, when, when I did my first hospital visit at a at a, an oncology department at a hospital. Um, I, I was like, this, this is the thing for me. I, I, this is the thing I care the most about. And so um, I've been around a lot of families who've lost. And uh, for me, that's where I go back to where I go, am I trying to, like, make millions and millions of dollars here? Or am I trying to be completely available to my kids and put us in a situation where we can do the things that we want and need to do? But uh, for me, just the time is the thing I can't get back. And I've had so many conversations with parents, um, uh, of kids that are in it or kids who were, you know, went through it. And whether it was, uh, whether it was a happy ending or, or, uh, a devastating ending, uh, for me, I just always come back to the thing that I'll never be able to replace is the time when they're little. And on my Instagram, I, I, always, when I put a picture up of my kids or an Instagram story for my kids, I can't help but write, these are the days. Um, and that's kind of just become a line that I've lived by because, like, these are the days, you know, like this, this is what it's all about. And uh, and so my involvement in that foundation and then the experience that I have there is is kind of giving me the mindset that I have today.
0: Good stuff, Jordan. And I'm going to include a link in the description of this podcast episode as well for the Reese organization. I think your heart and your mind are in the right place. And just from the little bit that I know about the Bible, it does say in order to obtain greatness, you got to find a way to serve the many. It sounds like you're doing just that, and I applaud you for it. Uh last thing I want to hit you with, I love to ask all the dads that I get on the podcast, what type of advice do you have for that new dad or for that about to be father who's out there listening?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um it's cool. I have a buddy who um who's got a 2-month old and so we had a lot of conversations about this leading up to it. Um and with the quarterbacks that I trained to if you if you kind of fast forward these guys, um you know when you're like in your mid 20s, it's wedding season. Every summer you go to like four or five weddings. Um but with my quarterbacks that are going to the NFL, they're all starting to get married now. So my wife and I kind of have married, wedding season in perpetuity here. Uh, Jared Stidham's getting married this June, a kid I've trained out of Auburn. And, uh, and so we'll be having a lot of these conversations. And so what I like to tell guys is, uh, is, you know, let, let, let being present be a goal. In today's day and age, there's just no such thing as like a an hour of nothing. There's Netflix, there's your phone where you can do a million different things on it um you're talking to people just it's go 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 and you know it's it's easy to give a baby a bottle and be on instagram right it's the easiest thing to do but don't just be present if you're sitting there just feeding a baby sing to it like talk to him or her read to him or her just be present and um you know the way that i look at, at, at being present um is you know in in my adult life it's it's you know it's really when i'm talking to somebody listening so that i can understand what somebody's truly trying to say not so that i can figure out how to respond and with a kid with my three-year-old or my six-month-old it's for me being present is really being able to to take in everything that's happening even if it feels like nothing's happening even if the baby can't talk can't crawl can't do anything my goal is always to be really really present and um And that has, that's allowed me to really, I I can't score it, I don't know, but all I can say is I'm enjoying the hell out of it. (laughs) And, And, uh, and the advice that somebody gave me that I thought was great too is don't ever let yourself say, I can't wait until. You know, it'd be easy for me to say, man, I can't wait till my son's in high school. I can't wait till he's in school. I can't wait till my six month old can walk. But that's, that's fast forwarding. I talk to enough parents, especially empty nesters, that would love to rewind. Every time I see, when I have a camp and I have, you know, a, a, the parents of a of a high school quarterback, and they see my babies, they go, "Oh my gosh! Let me hold on. I I miss this. I wish I could go back." The reality is, is like there's no point in fast forwarding. You're gonna want to rewind at some point, so just be present and uh, don't allow yourself to say, "I can't wait until."
0: Well said. I love the advice. You are a first class father. And I got to say, Jordan Palmer, thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time on first class fatherhood. Thank you. All right. I'm back with a couple of closing thoughts here in just a second. Back to wrap things up here on First Class Fatherhood. I got to give a special thank you once again to Jordan Palmer for giving me a few minutes of his time. It was so cool. Please hit me up on Twitter, guys, or drop me that DM over on Instagram. Let me know what you thought about today's episode. I always love to hear your feedback. And then lock it in. Tomorrow, we got NHL defenseman Kevin Miller, who is playing with the Boston Bruins. Wednesday, we got Uncle Louie. Thursday, we got actor Barry Sloan. And then Friday, we got former Navy SEAL Jason Kuhn. That's all I got for you guys today. I'm Alec Lace. You have been listening to First Class Fatherhood. And please remember, guys, we are not babysitters. We are fathers. And we're not just fathers. We are first class fathers.